I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. at the sky when the children were babies and played on the beach you came up behind me i saw you go by you were always so close and still within reach sarah sarah whatever made you want to change your mind sarah sarah so easy to look at so hard to define this is pod dylan the show that celebrates the work of bob dylan one song at a time proud member of the fire and water podcast network I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and my guest to talk about Sarah, the final track from 1976's Desire, beaming in all the way in from Japan, is the rough and rowdy Jason M. Day. Hi, Jason. Hi, Rob. Thanks uh, Thanks very much for having me. I listen to the show all the time. Thank you so much for doing this. I to, to pull back the curtain a little bit, Jason and I have been talking about doing this for a long time, and you wanted to hold off because uh, you were planning to see Bob in April, because he had a Japan tour uh, yeah. booked and ready, and we were like, okay, well, we'll do the show after you've had a chance to see him, and then we'll have that to talk about. Of course, <laughs> that's yeah. not never happened, unfortunately. So, so we're doing it now. So, again, th- welcome to the show, and and this is just I'm so thrilled to be talking to someone all the way from Japan. And why don't you <laughs> explain to people just just you know as briefly as you want, like how you ended up in Japan? Because obviously, people could tell from your voice you're not native Japanese. No, uh, but next month I'll have been here for 25 years. So wow. you know, it's, it's getting close. I just mm-hmm. I, when I was. Uh, you know, getting ready to graduate from college, and I didn't really have a particular plan. And I was just speaking to a friend of mine outside of my Russian history class, and she said, what are you going to do after, you know, I said, I don't know, go somewhere and teach English, I think. And she said, oh, have you ever thought about Japan? A friend of mine is hiring for a conversation school over there. And I thought, no, I've never thought about Japan, but why the hell not, actually, for a year or two? Sounds interesting. And then, you know, you blink and it's 25 years later. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you get to go do You get to go home every so often or have you just sort of been in Japan the, the last whole quarter century? Oh, no. I've You know, I've been living here, but I make frequent trips, you know, and gotcha. I get to travel a lot. Yeah. That's amazing. That's mm. so. Uh, well, again, this is your first time on the show, so we have to get our, our, our normal conversation out of the way first. Like, how did you become a, a fan of Bob? Okay. Uh, despite claims, long story not made short. Um, <laughs> I have sort of in fits and starts for a long time, actually. You know, I was always aware of Dylan just because he's such a big figure in the culture, in the air. And uh, my dad was a was a big Dylan fan and had a big stack of albums. And, um, and I was and am a big Beatles guy. So I was aware of Dylan and sort of sure. how important he was. But uh, important in some sort of black and white, folky finger pointing way that didn't seem relevant you know i had no conception whatsoever of sort of this the span of his career um but then in the summer of 1988 my pal roger called me up and said do you want to go see bob dylan in vancouver i said well of course i do uh not because i was a fan but because it was a trip to the big city you know and it was going to be my first big concert and tracy chapman was opening for him on that tour oh, and nice that, 
that was the summer that Fast Car was everywhere. Do you, do you know that song? Oh, sure. I know. I'm a fan of Tracy Chapman. Yeah. And I really liked that record. So I thought, oh, great. Uh, you know, so we went. And, and actually, I wanted to get this in there because um, I, I didn't know sort of anything about his music, really, apart from the stuff you'd hear on the radio. So I thought, I better listen to his his last record that's surely what he's touring right um i, be- I better prep so I spent, oh, Jason. <laughs> I spent that whole summer listening to down in the groove right um uh, which and of course he didn't play anything off it but but silvio right and that's the only right. thing he played um but i think that's that- something he's ever played from it <laughs> no but that maybe explains my otherwise totally inexplicable affection for that record just because it sounds like the summer I was 17 right and and, mm-hmm. and young and excited about things um, so that was the beginning then I kept sort of making little attempts to get into Dylan often nudged by my little brother who's a who's a big fan and he would sort of suggest things for me and then uh, a couple of things were getting through like I got blood on the tracks and I thought oh there you go that's pretty good record I thought and then I got <laughs> but desire which I liked even more and then my brother moved to uh to to Europe he was living in Poland so I went to go visit him I was in Japan oh, you guys are world travelers yeah I tell I know and uh so I flew into Amsterdam and then I had to travel the next day by train to where he was living in a place called Katowice in Poland and I forgot to change any money so I couldn't eat or drink the whole day and <laughs> it was you know, multiple trains and it's November in Poland and I was menaced mm. by a drunken Polish thug and just having a very bad time generally. I finally got to Katowice and my brother was there as planned. Uh, he took me to his apartment and sort of fed me and made tea and he, then he hauled over his cassette player. He said, listen to this. And he played he played up to me and it was the first time I'd ever heard it. And I just oh, sat boy. there in stunned admiration, you know, I couldn't. So that was really... Uh, it, after that, it was just all Dylan all the time. And then maybe the kappa was, I got my heart broken and happened to listen to Blood on the Tracks. And I thought, this is better than just a pretty good record. This is mm-hmm. thundering genius. Yeah. So since then, I've become that guy, you know, who's sitting at the end of the bar who knows way too much about Bob Dylan, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Those are all very dramatic introductions, you know, yeah. kind of like your your brother be almost be like, I know you've had this rotten day, but you got to hear this song. Like that's a very dramatic way of introducing yeah. it to you. Yeah. And and anyone, I think any person who's ever experienced virtually anything can appreciate Blood on the Tracks. But if you've been through a particular heartbreak, mm-hmm. yeah, that record is just it. That's that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know? couldn't believe how perfect it was, how it took yeah. you through every stage, right? Yeah. Right to sort of, you know, resignation, tender resignation at the end. Yeah. Yep. Just gorgeous. Yep. Absolutely. So, well, okay. So you've, you've mentioned that you saw him live. Have have you had a chance to see him much since that first time? Uh, I've seen him three times since, all, always in Japan, uh, each okay. time in Japan. And that's been great because Japanese concert crowds are are enthusiastic but respectful right and they'll clap at the end of the song and then it's quiet in the hall right except you can hear one guy going bob Bob." (laughs) but otherwise people are just waiting for the you know the next track and it's nice because you you know you don't have some other fucker on e jumping up and down in front of you for two hours right (laughs) and spoiling everything yeah it's really it's a good place and we've gone to see him in um a place called uh club zep in nagoya which is maybe 1500 cedar so 
pretty intimate. It's been terrific yeah. to see him there. Yeah. And then again, I had tickets to go see him on his second night in Tokyo in April. And my dad was going to come. And then, of course, everything got canceled and all that. So. Yeah. Now, I mean, he seems to have – I mean, look, he's popular all over the world, of course. But he does seem to have a very uh, enduring, devoted fan base in Japan. I mean, the, mm. the, the Budokan record was sort of like – uh, I mean, it, that that record was always meant to be released worldwide, but nevertheless, I mean, it, that's a very, very sort of specific, like, it's going to be a live a live record recorded at this one place. Mm -hmm. um, do, you, do you have any insight as to why you think, uh, obviously, there's a language barrier there, but why he, maybe in Japan, he is more popular than maybe, than, than a lot of people would expect? That's a really good question, because... Yeah, the lyrics are really tough, and I don't think, uh, you know, but he was just, I think, I'm hazarding a guess here, but I think it was sort of the early 60s stuff, the blowing in the wind and so on. That really went over, that was, you know, in the 60s in Japan when the student riots and so on, and I think he was uh, seen as, uh, you know, a kindred spirit and ever since, and I think he likes Japan too, partly because, the you know, the, it's nice to play here, right. they, they listen to you. Um other than that, I'm not sure because, yeah, the language would be really – it's tough for me sometimes, let alone, you know, for Japanese people. I wanted to mention the first time my dad came to visit me in Japan, we snuck into the Budokan, actually. And oh, wow. We were thrown out. We got thrown out by very polite <laughs> security guards. But <laughs> – I was just sitting there going, this is the, and, you know, I sort of vaguely thought about the Beatles, but mostly I was thinking about the Dylan's album because I really like that record. I know it's not the most popular one he's ever made, but something about it, it's so weird. That was a that weird tour. weird, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Except because, I mean, on top of the just the language barrier, Bob Dylan uses so many, like, American idioms that yeah. I just wonder – what what does a what does a Japanese listener who's maybe never been to America know about you know what he's talking about? I, I I'm blanking on a specific reference because some of the stuff that occurs to me it's like well it's, like mentions Indiana Jones well that's worldwide but I right. mean he uses some very specific things that that people in this country understand but I wonder what to, right. to a Japanese person is like what does that even mean like literally what is he even referring to but I, like anything it, it's it's the feeling of it and that obviously uh, connects with the, everyone worldwide I mean he tours all over the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like I say, he doesn't play huge halls here anymore, but uh, you know, that the the tour that he had planned for April, that was I think 10 nights in Tokyo, right? Which wow. is not bad. And then a couple other dates in Osaka and elsewhere, but again, it was I think it was in Club Zeppelin, uh it's the chain. This place is a, it's a chain of halls and so it's probably 1500 or 2000 seats, but you know, over the course of 10 nights, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's. I guess if you're going to fly all the way to Japan and bring the band and every put everybody, up, you're going to make it worth it. You know, you're going to yeah. you're going to do a residency. You're not going to pop in for two nights. Well, that's yeah. that's that's amazing. That's I, I, you know, I admire someone who just went to the other side of the world practically to go just sort of follow a whim. I've been very sort of uh, <laughs> placed in in in, in America, and uh, I said, you're, again, your whole family seems to just have that that wanderlust gene in it, which is really kind of cool. Yeah, got it. Moving on. What is the what is this one on self portrait? Keep moving on. Keep moving on. Yeah. Keep exactly. moving on. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Well, very very cool. That's uh, that is awesome. And I obviously when this is all over, 
Uh, Bob, I'm sure, will resume his – I'm sure he's itching to resume his touring. Yeah. I'm sure he'll go back, and then we can have you back on to talk about uh, seeing him finally when you get a chance to – because I would love to hear from somebody what it's like seeing him in Japan. I mean, you gave us you gave us a brief discussion, but I would love to hear more about, like, actually seeing a whole concert. So that we'll have to – for we'll, we'll put the pin on that for a, a later Okay. Day. Okay. So – so anyway, there's a song we're here to talk about, as I mentioned, is Sarah. I said it's the final song from 1976's Desire. Uh, I always – this song is – I mean, look, this is an amazing song. I'm not – that's nothing new to anybody. Mm. Uh, before we get into details, I mean, like, why did you want to talk about this one? Because you were pretty – from what I remember when we were hashing out songs, like this was at the top of your list mm. uh, right from the very beginning. So we never went off of this, and it was always going to be Sarah. So what, what about this song made you want to talk about it? Well, it's partly because I love that album so much. It's my favorite Dylan album. And, uh, you know, I, Isis is probably my fa- apart from Up To Me, maybe Isis is my second favorite Dylan song. And I was gutted that somebody else had talked about it already. Oh, <laughs> man, some jerk. Yeah. So, oh, no, no, hey, I'm, now. Come on. No, I uh, uh, that's not true. And it was a good episode. Um, so <laughs> all, all apologies there. But I, I thought, what else can we do? Um from from it and then i thought sarah yeah because it is a gorgeous song it's a tough song it's a difficult song there's i thought lots to lots of room to maneuver as we talk about it so and also because again i love the album i i when i went to new york uh i stayed in the chelsea hotel partly for leonard cohen reasons but partly because of this <laughs> song you know so it's always i've always been obsessed with the whole record but yeah just coming at the end there so beautiful and sad and weird i love this song it's it's interesting when you think about it uh, as a, as in its context. I think it is one of uh, Bob's most effective closers mm. on the record because I mean, Desire more than virtually virtually any of his other records is such a world travely record. I yeah, mean, virtually every song takes place in some other location. You've got it takes there's New Jersey for Hurricane, and then you've got wherever the hell ISIS is, <laughs> right. you know, and then Mozambique. Oh, sister seems to, you know, that's an indeterminate place. And then one more cup of coffee certainly has a, a sort of Mediterranean, uh, mm. Middle Eastern sort of sound to it. And then we're in New York for Joey for 79 minutes. And then we're in uh, the Black Diamond Bay, this imagined island. Then we're in Durango. So, yeah. we're, I mean, this album is just go all over. the, And then, boom, for the last song, we get this waltz. That is as personal and as close to home metaphorically as it could be. I mean, for for a guy that spent his whole career telling you, telling his audience, you know, this these songs are not about me necessarily. Here, he's completely flipping the script. Yeah, and it, it it's a song obviously completely about him, but at the same time, it doesn't have to be. You can enjoy it on its own. But I mean, it's to just completely bring it, bring it all back home. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, with this final song, and to have something so direct, uh, to literally be doing a song talking to your wife, yeah. just as as we know now, they were about to end their relationship permanently because after Blood on the Tracks, there had apparently had some some bit of uh, reconciliation, and then uh, and then they did the Hard Rain tour, and and then the, this he put this record together, and this was basically it for them at at that point. And from the, from the story goes is that when he recorded this for Desire, and apparently the sessions for that record were crazy mm-hmm. because he had like 30 musicians in there all at the same time, all playing live. Yeah. And there was nobody really producing it. There was an in-house producer from Columbia, but there wasn't any 
quote unquote producer like wrangling things and it was just chaos and he did this you know put together this huge record and then at the very end at the maybe even on during the mixing session i'd have to reread um the clinton halen's the recording sessions to get into this but apparently at the very end he then whipped out this song and again as legend goes sarah was in the recording booth when he did it and he turned and said this is for you (laughs) <laughs> and ran into the song and i'm thinking can you imagine how awkward it must have been for the other people in the room to sit there and hear bob dylan whip out this incredibly powerful song and know he's aiming it at someone probably just standing over to the right of you like i the the what what would that room have been like after he finished yeah yeah and apparently sarah was stunned right that's what how i could read. You not be yeah but i i would I liked what you said about the sort of the sort of the travelogues and how this album's all over the place. But I've really been thinking about the the structure of this record and how I think both sides, the A side and the B side, are very similar. Like you said, there's the, the first kickoff, these sort of city narratives, right, mm-hmm. gritty urban narratives, and then there's some sort of action adventure travelogues, and then, um, but then on on both sides, the the final song is about a woman and have you heard or read or that oh sister is his response to john baez's uh diamonds and rust have you ever heard that no i never have so i I'm, I'm not sure if that's true you you never know with this guy but no that would sort of to anchor both you know the ends of hmm. both sides with the songs to his lovers past and present is sort of interesting and it, it it's uh, uh satisfyingly harmonious right because then you've yeah. got this sort of very personal um reflective regretful even oh sister there's some something weird is going on there too right these are not sort of seduction songs these are not uh happy romantic songs at all at all right anyway that's it. I, yeah, I've never heard that. That's interesting. Bob does love. Uh, well, maybe not love is a straight word. I, I don't know what he loves or not. But he he has done that before, where his albums back when there were albums with sides, they were balanced to a certain extent. There was a kind of you know reflect. One side was reflective of the other on purpose, kind of, and or even in like in the case of Highway sixty one, the songs kind of match each other. You yeah, know? it's like. Like a Rolling Stone and Queen Jane and yada yada, and so I can see that that's interesting. I've never heard that before, so thank you for for bringing that up. Oh that's yeah, a, sure. A new detail. But then Sarah, it, uh, you know, Oh Sister is sort of mystical and and strange. Uh, but yeah, you're right about this sort of suddenly this. Uh, what it, Ginsburg called it in the liner notes, he called it open-hearted personal historic confession. I thought that's <laughs> that sums it up pretty well, actually. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, said it, and and the the song is so geared at. I mean, obviously you're you're being invited to listen to it because it's on a record, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's aimed so specifically at one person. I mean, I, I did the I quoted the opening lyrics, and then he, the song goes on. I can still see them playing with their pails in the sand. They run to the water, their buckets to fill. I can still see the shells falling out of their hands as they follow each other back up the hill. Sarah, Sarah, sweet virgin angel, sweet love of my life. Sarah, Sarah, radiant jewel, mystical wife. Mm. And then sleeping in the woods by a fire in the night, drinking white rum in a Portugal bar, then playing leapfrog and hearing about Snow White, you in the marketplace in Savannah Lamar. Sarah, Sarah, it's also clear I could never forget. Sarah, Sarah, loving you is the one thing I'll never regret. And, you know, we're going to go through more of the lyrics as we go on. But one of the things that that 
I think about when I listen to the song, and I love this song. This is one of my favorite songs of his, is imagine uh, – I mean we, we've talked about in many other episodes how – Bob can really turn the head of a potential uh, love, uh, uh, potential lover, mm-hmm. with a phrase. You know, whether it's covenant woman or you know, I mean, or, or um, uh, uh, love mine is zero, don't limit. When he really wants to turn a woman's head, he can because he's so powerful with his words and his mm-hmm. language. Mm-hmm. This feels like he is pouring everything into this song <laughs> to nudge Sarah back into. You know, back into the Malibu estate or whatever, wherever it was they were, yeah. living. because it's almost overload how how um, florid and colorful the language is when he's describing this woman. I mean, you know, the, the, it's, it, it. I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to have someone call you, you know, a radiant jewel, a mm. sweet virgin angel. I mean, he is he's trying hard in this song to 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 connect with this person and. You can only imagine what it must be like to have someone with his gifts turn his attention towards you like that in a good way. That's got to be just overwhelming. Mm, Yeah. And what I always think about when I listen to this is how the verses are really sort of rooted in close to the nose details, right? It's all objects. It's buckets and shells and uh talking about their children you know that's playing a little dirty isn't it but but then (laughs) you sort of then the like that sleeping in the woods bit you know that's continuing the travel that have been in all the Mm -hmm. other songs as well but yeah just he's not overdoing but i think he then the the tone changes each time in the choruses those are a little more abstract and uh you know radiant jewel mystical wife uh that doesn't have the same sort of concrete, you know, grounded in in detail. That the, that the, that's what I like. That he's flipping back and forth between actual places and so on, and then a slightly more abstract. I read. I don't know when he said it, but in an interview with Rolling Stone magazine, he said um, about this song. He said, "Was it the real Sarah or the Sarah in the dream? I still don't know." And that made a lot of sense to me because I thought, okay, the the verses are those are little snapshots of the family and traveling and all that stuff. And then the verses, uh, the choruses rather, are that's the dream woman, you know? Right. Right. I mean, again, it's, he gets that uh, thing about, you know, people have been saying, Oh, it's the song. What's this song about? And obviously we know what this song is about, but at the same time you can, like you do for any other song, transpose it to, these are your feelings about someone in your life. And yeah, mm. he's, he's being very specific. And yeah, I, I agree about the, the way that the, with the choruses, he's pulling back a little. And, and you're getting these details about their children. I mean, good Lord, he's talking. To, we know even who he's talking about. You know, yeah. he's, talking about, he's talking about Jacob Dylan in some good some respect, hearing yeah. about Snow White. But then, yeah, then he's pulling out a little and we're getting back into a memory. I mean, this is probably the only – in the next verse is I can still hear the sound of those Methodist bells. I'd taken the cure and had just gotten through, staying up for days in the Chelsea Hotel, writing mm. sad eyed lady of the lowlands for you. <laughs> uh, it's just – I can't think this has got to be the only Dylan song that references another Dylan song. I can't think of another time where he's done that. Right. I Yeah. He, <laughs> I mean like wow. Except for maybe Murder Most Foul, which mentions itself, right? But I right. think you're right. Yeah, yeah. And, it's... <laughs> and for, you know, his sort of 
complaining later that people are saying, why, why does it have to be about my wife? You know, just because it's called Sarah, why is it about her? I thought, well, <laughs> come on, Bob. You know, yeah. if you named it Cynthia or, you know, Martha, <laughs> it would still be pretty clear. Um, but then I love that staying up for days in the Chelsea Hotel. I love mm -hmm. that whole that whole verse. But I've also read somewhere that that's it's not true. That did he write Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands in like during the sessions for Blonde on Blonde, which were, I forget, Nashville, right? Yeah. I, you know what? Who's, how, how can anybody know at this point? Right. You know, I mean, maybe he had the inspiration for it or something, and it was rattling around in his head. Uh, again, I love it. It's so fun to, for, him, for that verse specifically to place himself back in 1966, wherever, you know, because he talks about in the Visions of Johanna, where the heat pipes just cough, which is a, a reference mm. to the Chelsea Hotel. So he's placing, he's bringing everybody back. And he has to know that by 1975, his fans are, you know, his they are the diehard fans. I mean, they've been following this guy for, you know, a decade or whatever. And he's placing them back in their heyday of mm. the 60s. Yeah. And he's bringing this back. And then he continues on to Sarah. Sarah, wherever we travel, we're never apart. Sarah, oh, Sarah, beautiful lady, so dear to my heart. How did I meet you? I don't know. A messenger sent me in a tropical storm. <laughs> you were – wow. You yeah. were there in the winter, moonlight on the snow, and on Lily Pond Lane when the weather was warm. And then mm. my, my favorite – of the of the, the the choruses is Sarah oh Sarah Scorpio Sphinx in a calico dress mm. Sarah Sarah you must forgive me my unworthiness and I will say when I first heard this song that chorus really appealed to me mainly because I've always uh, had some level of uh, of imposter syndrome and and self-loathing kind of and I've never felt myself to be terribly worthy of the people around me or whatever or unworthy of the things that have come to me or whatever and just that 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 line of admitting to yourself that you're you're trying to woo this person mm -hmm. you're trying to say please stick together you're and you're and you're 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 putting them up on this pedestal. You're, you know, you're calling them a princess and an angel and a yeah. radiant jewel. And then at the same time, you're saying, but I'm really not worthy of you though, but stick with me anyway, which is <laughs> what a, what a yin and yang of, of <laughs> argument to make. And you must forgive me, not you please must. forgive me. Yeah. <laughs> you must. Yeah. You must forgive I, me. I played this for my wife the other day and she's, she's not familiar she's japanese and not familiar with the sort of the background story and so i filled in some and then she said did he have some affairs and i said oh, yeah, i'm pretty uh, sure couple, he, you yeah. know and she just said yeah he's gonna do it again i don't trust <laughs> him <laughs> you know it's what <laughs> this is nice and all but maybe you know it's not going to last. And she was right, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I love your, your wife just cutting through <laughs> the kind of bullshit there. Like, yeah, yeah all right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, w I will also say, again, the, the, the way he's able to conjure images and the way they, they stick in your head is that um, the line about like, the Scorpio Sphinx in a calico dress. Mm. Uh, I, I will say, like, uh, I probably heard the song when I was – I mean, again, I was just getting into Bob, so I would have been 19 or 20 or whatever. I was still – I was so – by that point, I was – I was presumably kind of dating or whatever, although my well, let's get into that. But uh, <laughs> but but nevertheless, like I have, I will say, I have always found uh, women in calico dresses to be particularly uh, alluring. Like that has caught my eye, and I have to think it's because Bob's mentioned it in this song. You know, oh. it's always there's there's some sort of amazing image 
uh, of that I conjure in my head. And I will say around not, um, you know, I mean, what the hell? We're here on the show. We do it not too long after this, after I heard the song, I was living, um, I was I was living with roommates uh, in art school and stuff, and I remember one guy had a uh, a Playboy, and uh, it wasn't mine, but he had, he had a Playboy, <laughs> and uh, and and there was there was a pictorial, and I forget what the theme of it was, but it was women outside, and there was one image of a woman with just her blouse open in a calico dress, mm. and and bare barefooted. Out in like the out in like a, a field somewhere, and there was it was like early early in the morning because it was like all the sunlight bathed on. And I remember thinking it was one of the most like sexiest images I'd ever seen mm-hmm. in Playboy because it was really more erotica than it was you know, like a typical Playboy kind of thing for what you're thinking of. Yeah. But I and and but I, I I paired those two things together. You know, I was like a calico. That's I think that's what she's wearing in this image, and it burned into my brain, and it's still there. You know, you know, I saw it like twenty five years ago, and again, it's the way Bob can can really use his his skills as a writer to just put these images in your head. And another mention of this song, the only other mention I can ever think of this song that I've heard outside in the popular culture mm-hmm. was in, and it came out of nowhere, was in the Spalding Gray movie. Monster in a Box, which was one of his concert films. It's not uh, the more famous one, obviously, is Swimming to Cambodia. Mm-hmm. But he did he did one later called Monster in a Box. And when I was living, uh, when I was working at the video store, I would rent, I was just renting five movies a night and watching them all. And I liked Spalding Gray. And I watched this this concert film of his. And he talked about at one point living, I think, in New York. And he lived, he said, and he was having going through depression. Um, and he talked about that he was up all night at times he couldn't sleep and part of it was there was a woman above him who was playing bob dylan's sarah on repeat for hours at a time <laughs> and he was like driven mad because he was like can you fucking play another song like for god's sakes and I, I remembered watching that movie and my head snapped back when i heard it because it's like look you know, as you talked about when you first heard of Bob and you thought he was like the black and white finger pointing guy. Yeah. I, everyone knows the big songs, you know, everyone, Bob Dylan has that cultural icon. He's the blown in the wind guy. The times are a changing guy. But when someone mentions a song, that's a deep cut, mm. you cut, you, you feel that sense of connection. You know, you're like, Oh wow. Oh, and so just to hear him mention the song, Sarah, and obviously whatever this woman who was listening to it on repeat for hours was getting something out of it very different than what a lot of people are getting out of it. So <laughs> yeah. I, you never know what kind of connections people make to these songs, but I, I can, I've ne- again, I've only seen monster in a box one time, 25 years ago, but I never forgot that mention of just hearing there's some woman with a tape player, <laughs> just hitting repeat, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah for all night. I, that just cracks me up. I like that. What you said about the, the, you know, the calico dress. And is there, do, is there a word in English in the English language for when music does that to you when a, when an image or a line just gets so rooted in your head that you know it's it, and not everything right like you like calico dresses but not necessarily white rum in some Portuguese right. bar yeah, right yeah. right that's right but you know the Chelsea Hotel that's the one that 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 rever- resonated for me and there are other, I get that from Dylan a lot and going to New York too. Like I looked up and I was on Elizabeth street, right? I thought Elizabeth right, street, right. after down on Elizabeth street. <laughs> wow. You know, and I get that from, from Bob a lot, you know, like just during the course of a day, uh, 
it's because he's such a brilliant writer, I guess. And he, these images that he's crafted, they stick around, you know? Yeah. Oh man. And so, and then the final, the final verse, uh, things get a lot darker here because he says, now the beach is deserted except for some kelp and a piece (laughs) of an old ship that lies on the shore. You always responded when I needed your help. You gave me a map and a key to your door. Sarah, oh, Sarah, glamorous nymph, with an arrow and bow, Sarah, oh, Sarah, don't ever leave me. Don't ever go. And, mm-hmm. and like you mentioned earlier, it's like, yeah, he's he's leaning in a little hard. I mean, the beach is now filled of smelly kelp. Like he's really loading this up with the images <laughs> and the piece of an old ship that's broken. Um, and I also love the way – and this is something that Bob connects with people or he doesn't. And I know people talk about, oh, he doesn't a good – he's not a good singer. I love the way he – he he pronounce, pronounces certain certain words, and I've always chuckled a little. And the the line you gave me a map, or you give me a map and a key to your door. He does not say door like regular people. He says doa. <laughs> he sings that. You know what I mean? It's says short because you gave me a, and a key to your doa. And I'm like, who talks like that? It's like it's such an idiosyncratic way of phrasing it. Sounds like Paul Stanley of Kiss is what it sounds like. <laughs> And you don't see those guys together too often. No, uh, no. I spent about an hour this afternoon talking with an English friend of mine who lives in Tokyo. And we were talking about that kelp line for an hour. <laughs> uh, and at one point, my friend David said, you know, it sounds important, but I don't see how it can be. <laughs> Did he come up with help or kelp first? You know, <laughs> because we we're talking about how kelp is such an ugly thing word actually yeah. it's just that and it's an ugly image right it's yeah. just slimy and it's yeah it's i like the old ship that lies on the shore that's great but that kelp one has always been a clangor for me <laughs> but then we were trying to think what else would you rhyme with help you know well there yelp? you go yeah well <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean he's it it really is good he's he's leaning as you don't I don't. I, I want to be careful. I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying Bob Dylan doesn't try, because obviously that is would n- not true and something I would never say. But it's. I don't think there are many as many songs as like this one that you feel like he is just gripping his hands onto the wheel as hard as possible mm. to do, and that is what he's what he is trying here. And again, that final verse is just he's just laying it on so thick of like, oh, now that you're gone, now that we're gone, the beach is full of driftwood and kelp and it's just it's ugly and hideous and please don't ever leave me don't ever go i mean my lord and you know i think uh maybe not i mean we you mentioned this earlier and i've been through this some of us we've been through that where you're you're holding on so hard for something uh and you realize no no matter you know and in 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 some ways the the tighter you hold on the 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 worse it's going to break you right, uh, and it seems counterintuitive, but that's the way it, it goes. And um, this song was attempted uh, apparently a couple times. He he uh, went through it once or twice when they recorded it, and then then he got it down. So apparently there was they were pretty certain early on, like he got it, and this was always going to be the the final track on the record live. No surprise, it's not been played very much. It's been played thirty three times. In a very tight window from October 30th, 1975, January 25th, 1976. And that's it. And while you can, of course, never say never with Bob Dylan, um, I would bet that if you made a list of, say, the top 20 songs that have the least chance of ever being pulled out again on a 
concert, this is on that list. (laughs) I can't picture him ever singing this song again. No, I think you're right. Uh, And I, that's, I like that image of holding on too tight. It reminded me, there's a, there's a really good book about Zen meditation called Zen mind, beginner's mind by uh, Suzuki, somebody Suzuki. And in that he says, you know, if, if you want to control your bull, if you keep it in a tiny, you know, cage, it's going to go nuts. Right. You have to give it the space, you know, and then you control it in the wider sense. So I don't, I'm not saying that he's trying to control Sarah necessarily, but this is this kind of intensity, uh, not, you know, it's too much, maybe, you know, it's no wonder she said, uh, okay, <laughs> you know, you can only take so much of this. It's beautiful. And uh, no wonder she was stunned, but at the same time, it's, it's too small a cage, I think. Yeah, it it is kind of uh, the oral equivalent of those people that like uh, propose to someone in a crowd, because you're kind of putting that person on the spot then. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? I've always I've seen that and I always found that to be very awkward because it's like, well, what if that person isn't comfortable? Even if that person wants to say yes, maybe that person isn't comfortable sharing that moment with a crowd of people. Yeah. On the jumbotron. Uh, on the, the jumbotron. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, and so, I mean, Bob is obviously or, or OK, let's pull back a little. The character in this song mm-hmm. is obviously trying very hard to keep this woman in his life. And that's something they're doing. That's a personal drama. And now he is letting the whole world in on it. Yeah. And I yeah. could see that if you're the, you're the object of that, of, of the song, you might say, I don't like, Hey, you know, like you're talking about mentioning the kids, you know, yeah. come come on, you know, I mean, gee, that's a little, and you can almost see someone saying, well, you're, you're trying to manipulate me through uh, the crowd a little, because I'm sure, I'm sure there were thousands maybe even more women out there that heard this song and would probably die to have been bob dylan's paramour at some point and then to know that 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 to know that the object of this song did walk away mm. i can see you probably being like hey well why would you do that it's probably being with this guy is great yeah but well yeah but there's the reality of literally being the guy being with the guy you know that's I think that's what the the girl who above spalding gray's apartment there was what's sarah what's wrong with you probably if Probably. you wrote this for me, I'd be it'd be great. Too bad my name is, you know, Trish or whatever. Right. But. <laughs> right. right. I, I will say I was in a at one point I was in a relationship where uh, there was a lot of um, accompanying social interest in our relationship. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. There was a there was there was a lot of uh, of of people around us who wanted us to be together for various reasons. And the relationship went on longer than it should have because there was that, you know, there was this feeling to me at least of like, well, boy, this story of how we met is so interesting and so romantic. It's a shame to throw all that away. Mm. Uh, But then, you know, at a certain point you're like, no, the beach is full of kelp and this is not going to work anymore. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, but I mean, but that, but that, it was definitely um, a consideration in my mind of like, God, this story that have how we met is so interesting and so, so, so cool. I hate the idea that I'm going to, I'm going to end this, but it had to. And that's obviously what happened here, even though Bob would continue to go on and they would obviously have a relationship because they have children together and whatever. And they've been photographed together. I mean, I think there's, I think there's a photograph. The, one of the uh, inset photos on infidels was taken by Sarah. So obviously they've continued to be in each other's life. And I've mentioned this on, on uh, previous episodes. 
I remembered reading, I think it was uh, Howard Sounds's book mm-hmm. about Dylan. I forget. I f- maybe not. I may be getting the, my books confused. But there was one book about Bob's life where, and in the end notes, the author says they did manage to get a hold of Sarah Dillon. Or, or whatever her name is now. I don't know if she goes by Sarah Dillon, but managed to get like her her phone number. And this person called her, and you know she picks up the phone. And apparently, it took about four seconds of her realizing why this person was calling. Mm-hmm. And the author says, "Yeah, she just chuckled and plopped the phone down, and that was the end of that." Right. And so there's something there that she has obviously this woman has obviously been very respectful of the life that she has had with him and that she's never traded in on it. There is no autobiography right. by Sarah Dillon of like, I was married to the tambourine man or some horrible <laughs> cash in. Oh, what would you be know the what worst I mean? title? Yeah. That's... Oh, would be the just, Oh God. You know, just be the, just, you can, you can imagine how awful that book might be if, if it was somebody who wanted had a real ax to grind, but, that, uh, but that's, that's, that's not what this is. Luckily. She does seem to be a very intensely personal, uh, private person, right? Yeah. And and again, like you were saying before, for this song, these details of their kids and their holidays and, you know, yeah. out in the world. And some of the other songs that are at least rumored to be about her, like, um, what is it? My Love, She Speaks Like Silence and... Uh, right, Love, uh, Mind Zero, No Limit, or She yeah. Belongs to Me, or Sad Eye Lady of the Lowlands. Right. Um, those are, you know, a lot muddier, right? So... Mm-hmm. Maybe she knows they're about, but they don't necessarily have to be about her. But this is very clearly about her and their the disintegration of their marriage, right? Not yeah. everybody wants that out in the, you know, people talking about it and playing it over Spalding Gray's apartment all night long. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> on, on a completely side note, I wonder what it's like to vacation with Bob Dylan. Is he a good guy to vacation with? Because, you know, I don't know if you've experienced this, uh, Jason, but like there are people that you can be really good buddies with or, or chums with, but mm-hmm. you don't necessarily want to travel with them because it's it's just the tension is different. And then there are other people that are great to vacation with. You know what I mean? Like, right. My but pal Corey. Yeah. Right. My pal Corey, who's been on this show, him and I, he and I traveled to Los Angeles last year and it was our first trip together. And there's always that slight like, OK, this guy's a really close friend. Uh, but maybe we've never traveled together. Maybe that, but it was great. We, we were, we were great traveling companions. It really worked out perfectly. And so I wonder what's Bob like to vacation with, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, is he, is he's like, where's my bags? You know, like, is he that? I don't know. I'm, I'm doing David Wilde's impersonation of Bob yeah. Dylan, by the way. Uh, but I mean, I just like when he's talking about, you know, Savannah Lamar and going to port, drinking white rum in a Portugal bar. What's that like? What's that yeah. like to sit in a Portugal bar and drink rum with Bob Dylan? Like, woo, woo, wow. Don't you – like, I have a feeling that he's way funnier than anybody knows. I just oh, I think you so, get little yeah. hints of it here and there. And, like, I'm sure you've seen that Netflix thing about the Rolling Thunder tour, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, sure. Right at, right at the beginning where he goes, I don't remember a thing about Rolling Thunder. <laughs> like, just the way his eyes light up and, you don't, you know – just the way he started, okay, let's get into it. You know, and I go, oh, you don't see that face on him too often. But no, he's no. really funny throughout. You know, when he's driving, I was in hysterics when he's, that footage of him going, when he's driving the bus. and just yeah. uh, hope, hope we get the bus in on time. You know, whatever. <laughs> what? I, think, I think he'd be really funny, actually. Uh, and But he's also the guy I would least want to be suddenly next to on an airplane flying to wherever because I would spend six hours chewing the inside of my mouth. Go, what? Say, you got to say something, but it can't oh, be yeah. 
Can't be too stupid. Don't ask him about that time he punched out Rupert Everett in uh, in um, what's it? Hearts, <laughs> Hearts on... of Fire. <laughs> or maybe you should ask him that. Maybe it's about time somebody did. Actually, and just last night I was watching that footage of him in Ham. I think when he was filming Hearts of Fire, when he's in Hamilton, Ontario, and he's just lounging around outside. Have you ever seen that? And yes. And he's talking to the wrestler and the kids. He's asking them about heavy metal. What about rat? You like rat? And I thought, <laughs> yeah, he's got, you know, this image that he can't sing and that he's grumpy and all that. And uh, of course he can sing. And I think he's hilarious. You know, I think he'd be a good traveling companion, actually. Oh, maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe he's just, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of doors are going to be open uh, to you as a traveling companion for Bob Dylan than they would be for anybody else because he's Bob Dylan. You know, yeah. you, you get access to things you wouldn't normally get access to. I'm sure if Bob Dylan ever went to Walt Disney World, he'd be able to get into that secret magic club they have, no problem. You know, <laughs> they would let him in. Yeah, they have that secret magic club. So, I mean, uh, it's behind some hidden door somewhere. I'm sure Bob can get into that one. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's funny you mentioned the, the, the documentary, which we haven't covered on the show yet. I need to do a whole episode on that movie because that thing is such a mind fuck. Yeah. Uh, pardon my language. I mean, it's got fa- it's a documentary with fake things in it, with fake people. <laughs> Yeah, for the love of God, you know. I mean, yeah. As you talk about, it, Bob's obviously not taking any of this too terribly seriously. And then one final thing I wanted to mention uh, in terms of the song is you you mentioned earlier the liner notes, mm-hmm. and there's some liner notes here, and it says, and there, you can read them on BobDylan.com. It's interesting how a lot of the songs are directly referenced, but not this one, not this one. I mean, it. it you know, he talks about. Uh, when Ruben gets out of jail, we will celebrate in the historical parking lot in a sunburned California. He talks about Oh Sister. He mentions Durango. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's there's references clearly to Sarah, but it's it's not specific. You never see the word Sarah in the liner notes. Well, and I wonder if that minute. was a I wonder if that was a choice or yeah. Well, I don't. I'm not sure. I, maybe there are two sets of liner notes because the one I found a couple weeks ago it's. Uh, it just says, revisiting Allen Ginsberg's liner notes to Bob Dylan's classic uh, 1976 album, Desire, which, by the way, was recorded uh, what, 45 years ago this month, right? It was July 75. Right? That's right. That's right. Um, but then at the end of that, uh, these are Ginsberg notes again, and he says, I don't know if you've ever seen this. He says, how far has he gone? All the way from scared, solitude, inner prophetics, building on that mind, honesty, strangeness, to open-hearted personal historical confession. As coffee for Rhodes, Semitic mode, Sarah is profound, ancient tune, revealing family paradigm, telling wife and world the last secrets of solitary weeping art, staying up for days in the Chelsea Hotel, writing Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands for you. Who would have thought he'd say it? So everybody would finally know him. Yeah, so I don't, maybe that's... On I'll the have to dig out. I have to dig out my copy of Desire because I don't. Like I said, I'm reading the line notes off the website, which are written by presumably by Bob. Right. Uh, so I have to dig up. But so yeah. But I mean, okay. So Ginsburg mentions them, but mm. it's just sort of. I think it's funny that Bob doesn't. You know, he says we have. He mentions Mozambique and and a lot of karma to burn. And again, it may be that he purposely left the song out, or could be because Sarah was recorded so late in the process that he was already re- he already wrote these right. and then he just threw in at the end. And another thing I always wonder about like if Sarah when he does this and he's done this a bunch of times where he records the album closer at the end. He did that for Restless Farewell was done kind of at, at the end and Wedding Song was done that. I always wonder mm. when you're going into the mixing sessions for your record presumably the record's done at that point you know i mean i think most people consider all right we're now we're now we're done recording and we're now moving on to the mixing process so i wonder 
was Desire always supposed to just be eight songs? And then he slotted in this ninth one or, mm. or same thing with planet waves, you know, was planet waves always meant to just end with another song. And then he bring this, brought this in at the end. It's like, it's always interesting that to me, like what, well, what was the original idea? Was the album just going to be one song shorter or whatever? But I mean, obviously, and, and, right. and, and, and as I said at the top of the show, as an album closer, there's no other way to end this record. There's no other song you're going to follow Sarah with. Mm, yeah. The, the, the yeah. record has to end at this point. Mozambique can't come then. No. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I love Mozambique, but no, you, you can't. You can't go back. You can't. You can't. Uh, you know, after Sarah, let's go into Joey. Let's do that. No, that's not. Well, that's not gonna. Yeah, happen. because they they're close enough already. Sort of the the choruses, right? It's the same mm-hmm. style. The name that's twice, true. and then an a a rhyme scheme, right? That's uh, true. That's true. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I think Sarah's a little. I kind of. I like Joey too, so I'm. I'm. I'm happy to to confess, but not as much as as Sarah. Do you think Sarah is his best album closer of all time? No, I no. I think there's others that are. I, I think it's very very good. I like. There's others that I think. Uh, I feel. In fact, I just. It's funny. Uh, at the time, I just tweeted at, about this uh, last night. Uh, this episode won't be airing for a couple of weeks, so it'll be out of date by this point. But I was just thinking about that of like, what are some of my favorite album closers? And this was this. I put a top five list. This wasn't on it, but this was like number six. Mm. I was close. I always think like album closers to me. Do they sum up the record? Do they sum up what's come before? I don't know if Sarah necessarily does. Although the name of the album is Desire for Pete's sakes. I guess you could argue that it does. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, as a as a as as a way of saying there's no other song that could follow this, yeah, it's a great album closer. It's like Desolation Row, mm. you know? Like, I remember we talked about in the, the episode that we did on that show that originally that – when that album was originally sequenced, Desolation Row was not in the – was not the last song. And you hear that, you're like, what? How could, how could it not be? What are you talking right. about? Yeah. And so the, after he gets, sings Don't Ever Leave Me, Don't Ever Go, that's it. The, the record's over. We're done. You know, so it's, yes. it is a great way to end this. This this. this album. Can I ask what your top five Dylan closers are? Uh, what is the list I wrote? I wrote um, Desolation Row. Uh, tonight I'll be staying here with you. Mm. Uh, where are you tonight? Nice one. Um, uh, uh, shooting star and ain't talking. I feel like those are the most ah. effective kind of closers and then as an asterisk some people have been saying that uh, murder most foul is Mm. not really the album closer it's it's key west is the album closer right because murder most foul sits uh, if you have the cd version or the vinyl version it exists as its own thing but to me no i mean no murder most foul is the final song it's just awkwardly placed because of technology right um but but those those would be my five so do you think this is his best one as a um as a oh i don't know if it's his best one i would i might put it in my top five though uh noticeably missing from yours is rank strangers to me which uh <laughs> which is maybe the best one <laughs> i don't know i i um, i always I think... consider the cover records to be a slightly different beast yeah fair enough if i, if I was gonna if i was gonna lump in the cover records i would say lone pilgrim from world gone wrong is one of the best closers ever because i love that performance mm. i really like wedding song a lot too mm. and i do i love where are you tonight that's probably that's a top 10 yeah, song that anyway song. yeah that's a great one uh what else yeah okay <laughs> and I and I do think that Murder Most Foul is 
an, a, a, a stun, a belter. It's incredible. And I have to sort of gear up to listen to it. Uh, you know, I don't put it on when I'm, when I'm doing the dishes, but, and it makes me cry every single time, you know, it's, it's, and I really hope it's not a, cause it does have a sort of a farewell type feel to it. And I certainly hope it's not, but I just think it's a, it's a, it's a triumph. It's excellent. I love the whole record, but that in particular, uh, is great. I can't wait for your episodes about, you know, more of the songs on the new one. I'm giving, I, I've, I've started reaching out to people about covering those songs, but I want to give a little more time to just live with them a little longer. I yeah. mean, obviously none of those songs are going to have the context of live performance for a yeah. while, unfortunately. Uh, so they're just existing uh, as, as studio artifacts, but I want to give it a little more time and, and, how do I feel about them two months from now? Kind of, mm-hmm. thing, you know, yeah. I mean, did they leave a chance to live with them? I mean, I didn't do that for the other songs that I did with Tara because those were immediate. Those were releases that seemed like they were kind of one-offs. So we didn't know mm-hmm. that they were part of a record. But now, now that I know that's part of a bigger piece, I'm kind of like, all right, let's, let's go do some other songs, do some older catalog stuff. And then we'll go back to the rough and rowdy ways and songs and see, see how they shot, you know, shape up a, four or five months down the line or something like that. So, I wonder if he would have done any of those songs in Tokyo. You know, that's the great mm. mystery and regret. Would he have played Murder Most Foul, you know, to a, to a rapt? And, I can't imagine know, that. I can't imagine audience. that in concert. Yeah. I can't picture it. I can't. I just can't. I mean, I know he's done Highlands live, uh, a shortened version of Highlands, and he's done Sad-Eyed Lady. I think he's done that live. But I, 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 can't, I can't wrap my head around sitting there doing murder most foul <laughs> I, no. I, well, I don't know especially if it hadn't come out you know what's what the hell is this yeah what, um, the hell is he talking? what about dicky betts you know, what is that about the live versions of sarah that he would do on the rolling thunder where he he does change the lyrics in one verse right um i was too young to know that you were doing it right is that the portugal i can't I think so yeah i think so sleeping in uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I was too young to know that you were doing it right, but you something something with the strength of the gods. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I yeah, I remember. I heard that. It's, it's on the Rolling Thunder review box set. You can hear yeah. different words. So yeah, he kept fiddling with it too. Uh, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that works as well as what's on the on the yeah. album version. He nailed but. this one. He nailed this one. Right? He nailed it to the floor. Uh, like I said, I can only imagine uh, if you're sitting in the control booth and he does this live. Right in front of Sarah, you're just like, mm. I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to leave now. I'm going to go see a movie because <laughs> this is awkward. So anyway, uh, I think I think we're, we're, we're good on, on Sarah now. So Jason, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for being patient. You've been waiting a long time to get a chance to do this. And uh, I really appreciate it. This is great. I love talking to people from all over the world. Uh, and so this was just really, really fun. So thank you so much for doing this. It's my pleasure. Thank you again for having me. All right, you're welcome. I said I, I, I'm looking forward to when Bob resumes touring and you get a chance to see him in Japan and we can have you on again talk about that experience. And then really why cool. don't you come over to Japan, Rob Kelly, and uh, <laughs> we'll go sneak into the Budokan and all that stuff. What oh, do you think? I would love that. Oh man, I'd have to bring I'd have to bring a vinyl copy of Budokan and get like a picture of me in Budokan holding, holding the Budokan it. record. What is that corny thing that he says on the in on the like on the gatefold? Something about. It's real cornball about how he lost his heart to a geisha in Kyoto. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) 
Oh my. Okay. So <laughs> I think we're going to wrap it up here. Of course, uh, if you <laughs> you want to follow the show, all the episodes are available on our website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We're always talking Bob over on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And finally, if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, go to patreon.com slash FW Podcast. And there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Patrick Carroll, and another supporter who were made masked and anonymous for their contributions towards Pod Dylan. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye-bye. I looked at the sky when the children were babies I played on the beach You came up behind me I saw you go by You were always so close Still within reach Sarah, Sarah Whatever made you want to change your mind So easy to look at, so hard to define